The Sacred Changemakers podcast is supported by Coaches Business School, helping the world's most caring coaches build a purpose-driven and profitable business that makes a meaningful impact in our world. Check out their unique frameworks and methods to help you transform and grow your business. Now is the time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs. You can do well in business and do good, and together we can make a meaningful difference. Find out more at coachesbusinessschool.com. Hey there. In today's episode, I'm going to be introducing you to my good friend and colleague, Maria Gam. And Maria is the founder and CEO of the coaching and training company NMS Communications, which operates out of New York in the United States. And what you're going to hear without a shadow of a doubt is Maria's passion for people and how she truly cares about organizational life and kind of the future of our world as well. And I'm so excited for you to listen to this because there's so many insights that Maria shares in our conversations. Because what's different about Maria is she's not just been to business school and learned the theories of business that she then espouses and coaches and trains leaders into. She actually has a felt lived experience that she's sharing from. And, you know, when she talks about being an introverted extrovert, when she talks about her time of 20 years in corporate America, and then what it was that actually catalyzed the transition for her moving away from her employment into the her freedom for running her own business. I mean, the way she tells that story, she, she really is a master storyteller. And I think you're going to pick that up from the episode that follows. But um, she's sharing from this lived, felt, embodied experience. And somehow that really shifts the quality and the insights that we gain as listeners. And Maria's um, kind of creating a case here for us. We're talking about the anatomy of the Great Reset. So exactly where we are in terms of life and, and business and humanity today. And you could look at that as the evolution of business, I guess. And we do talk about that. But what was so interesting for me was was. Maria's perspective on leadership, on organizational life, and this idea that business is and always has been a structure for good. And it, when you listen to Maria talking about that, it's really quite compelling to remember that this is not a new idea. It's something that's been around for many, many years. And the role that leadership plays in that, and also how this is kind of transitioning us into the future of business. You're going to hear Maria talk from her wise perspective about what she believes is the future of business and the role of leadership to help navigate the transitions as we move in that direction. Um, if you work in corporate life or you're a leader in, in your own business or in another you know, larger organization, I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Maria. Hey, Maria, welcome to the Sacred Changemakers podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you, Jane. 
Oh, I have been, I don't know why it's taken me so long to invite you to the podcast, but I am so excited about our conversation. And our listeners, you know, they can read your bio in the show notes, but I'd love to get you to just kind of walk us through a little bit about yourself. And when I say that, what I'm really getting at is who's the real life human behind the bio? Who's she, Maria? Oh, that's a great question. I am, uh, I am actually an introverted ex- extrovert, if that makes any sense at all. And uh, people always say to me, how can you say that? You have such an enormous personality and your energy is so big, but I am actually quite shy um, when it comes to real life. And I try to be understated and um, just kind of be a normal human being who just operates. I, I don't know how to say it other than that. But, uh, but I did spend like 20 years in corporate America. And um, I have to tell you, it was, it was a lot of fun. And I did a lot of really powerful work and still managed to maintain being both an introvert and an extrovert at the same time. Yeah. So what is it that brought you to the work that you're doing today? Because I I know the power of the work that you're up to, and and I'm excited to kind of share that with our audience. But, you know, what was your journey to getting to do what you do today? You know, I loved what I did. I loved, make no mistake, Jane, I loved being in the fashion industry for more than 20 years. And if anybody thinks it's glamorous, I will tell you, quite frankly, it is not glamorous. (laughs) It is a very tough business, a very demanding career as well. But I loved the career that I had. I loved the people I was working with. The last place I was at, I was there for quite a while. And I felt privileged to be part of the organization and be part of the team that I led and I was led by. So, you know, I didn't have the typical, I'm so fed up, I've had enough. mine was more, this is really great. And I have an amazing life, but I'm limiting myself. I'm limiting um, the balance and allowing other things into my life. Um, And I'm also just not feeling like what I do has as much meaning as it used to have for me. And it's time to go. And every time I tell this story, I get I get, as you can hear, a little emotional about it because I can remember sitting on my desk, looking down um, the boulevard and and looking at the Statue of Liberty. I had my own office. I had a great view. You know, it was wonderful. And thinking, what am I doing here? What am I still doing here? And can't I do something that has a more profound impact on the world? And that was really the catalyst for it. And that moment in time of sitting on that desk in between meetings really was the the point where I'm like, I've got to get out and I'm not sure what I'm going to go do, but I'm going to go do it. I love that. That's like a real kind of, well, you said it, like a profound moment. Because very often when I when I talk to people who have left corporate America or, or corporate in any country, really, you know, it's almost been like an away from move. Like I like I'm not happy here anymore and I, I need to go find my freedom elsewhere. But for you, that knowing that you are limiting yourself, that's quite unusual in, in my experience that you had a sense and a quest really for more meaning. 
I love that. And knowing you, it makes perfect sense. So tell us how you then kind of navigated that, that transition from being in someone else's structure to then starting to create your own way, your own path, if you like, and potentially your own structures in your own business. Well, I did the thing that I don't recommend anybody doing, <laughs> which is I ran for the exit. I opened the door. I didn't have a parachute and I jumped out. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. I just jumped out and I was free fall and into a community of coaches and, you know, online marketers and all of that stuff. And I had basically culture shock because I'd never experienced, <laughs> I'd never experienced that type of world before. And I was like, what's happening here? Wait a minute. What are they doing? How are they? What? And um, it was, it was really interesting, but I was so committed that I drank the Kool-Aid and I went along for the ride and it put me in a place that I didn't like. And so once again, I'm like, no, mm -mm, not doing this, not doing it like this, not going to be part of this. I want something different. I want something that actually means something. And maybe that's too much to ask, but I'm going to wait until that shows up. So what was that that showed up? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, what showed up was I went into this place of, I had published a book, you know, in that first couple of years. And what I learned is, is that I loved to write. And I actually wanted to write since I was a child. I, I'd always like created books and um, everything was always illustrated because I'm a creative at heart and an artist, you know, deep down to my core. And I'm like, well, this makes sense for me. And the things, the other thing that made sense for me was speaking. I love to speak on stage and I love being able to impart to people something, a message that would help them to get to the next step. And I said, I said to myself, you know what, I'm going to just step away from everything that I've been taught in these first couple of years, put it down and actually flush it down the toilet to be perfectly frank, <laughs> just totally blow it up and just write and speak and do some consulting work on the side. And in that, in writing three more books in that time, three more, I'm like, okay, one, I completely have my message now. Two, I totally know who my people are. And three, the people that I want to be with in this world are people who understand that what we are all doing is serving each other. Yes, we are here to make money. Yes, we are here to enrich our life. But I can't see that transaction without truly enriching other people's lives. You know, that's fascinating to me because when you, when you speak about that, that wisdom, and it does feel like wisdom to me, not just something that you knew like knowledge, but you had this inner wisdom that, you know, in, in many ways we're, we're all connected. And so I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, cause I met you around the time I think you wrote your first book, um, yes. Healing the Corporate World. And I, 
And now we're having this conversation. I'm kind of putting two and two together and coming up with three and thinking, so this wasn't just about your search for meaning. This was about how you could inspire more meaning for others as well. Yeah, absolutely. But I had to be myself. You know, I think this is the struggle, Jane, that Mm -hmm. everybody has when they come into their own business. They're like, you know what? I'm going to have my own business. I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to just be myself. And then it's all of a sudden this screeching halt of, well, here are the rules, my dear. You wear color on pattern on a stage. You speak like this. You hit pain points like that. And some of it is gross, to be perfectly honest. And I know that I know the people who are listening understand (laughs) what I'm saying. I don't need to I don't need to uh, I don't need to go any deeper on that. But here I am. I'm a girl from New York City. I've, I grew up here. I've lived in a couple different countries around the world, everywhere people are people. And I love people. You know, I'm fascinated by people from other cultures. And the thing that always fascinated me about people from other cultures was how unique they were in their own environment and how special that was. So why can't I be that way? Why can't I dress in black because look, I'm in New York city. We wear black. We wear black. We wear gray (laughs) and green. (laughs) Let's face it. You know, you're not going to see me in a lot of color, you know, sometimes in the summer, but you know, it's about getting past, even in your own business, getting past the rules that other people put upon you in what they deem is acceptable or not acceptable. And really being able to be your authentic self. And I just had to get to a point where I was like, you know what? No way. I, this is not who I am. I see a picture of myself speaking somewhere and I'm in a purple dress. Now purple happens to be my favorite color, Jane, but I think I look ridiculous because I'm in a pair of heels that I remember almost falling off of. I mean, it's like, it's crazy. (laughs) Right. Right. So I'm now like I'm on the edge of my seat now waiting to find out like what what is the meaning that you found in that purple dress and heels? heels. Oh, my gosh. So then it was I was so focused on all the skills that I needed to have in order to pull it all off. Yeah. How you speak from a stage, how you sell from a stage, how you do all of those things. And it was not me. It was not me. And I can see in footage that I've, I've watched many two times, way too many times of myself where I am in my zone and my meaning, which is I am truly sharing from my heart and from my humor with people so that in storytelling, so that they understand the point that I'm making, you know, and the purple dress in the heels is my story for saying, don't make somebody put, don't let anybody put you in a position where you have to be a certain way in order to succeed. That's just, that's just not true. Now I look at it and I think the universe is a wide and open space. I was not made by mistake. I am not a mistake. The work that I do is not a mistake. I'm here to bless people in a big way and teach them a lot about how to be a really amazing, resilient leader without having to be pushy, without having to be what other people want you to be so that 
that you can be the best person you are in that setting. And that's enough to be really relevant and impactful. To me, business has a deeper meaning. It has a huge, huge piece of the puzzle in this world that we're shifting. That commerce is super important. Like without commerce, we don't have the means to enrich people with education. We don't have the ability to give them um, an income so that they can work. So I'm really tied to the betterment of commerce. And that's the meaning that I find now. Like I think every morning when I get up, how many lives can I help today? How many ways can I put myself out there or put information or content out there that somebody will read and say, oh, I needed to hear this today. And I needed to hear it and not from like some four dots, you know, or whatever the saying is, um, square in a box canned type of rhetoric. I want to hear it from somebody who can talk from experience and from the heart. I love what you're saying here because you're pulling from like your lived reality, your, your embodied experience of, of what it means to lead today. And not just from te some textbooks or thought leaders that have got all kinds of theories and processes on that. So I love that. And, and we chose a title for our conversation today being the anatomy of the great reset. So of course, I've got to ask you, like, what do you make of these times we're living in right now, particularly from a leadership perspective? Well, I think, I think if we look at the global experience that we just had over the past two years, it's really telling because we've hit all of us were given a, a basically a time out for two years. <laughs> okay, everybody go home, everybody go into your houses, work from your, you know, from your closets, your spare rooms, your guest rooms, um, or at your, you know, a family house or a basement, something like that. And in that disconnection, even though we had social media, we had newspapers, we had television, God, we have way too much of all of that. But the lack of connection with each other the real meaning, you know, because Zoom even got old at that at time, we were left with ourselves to think about what it is that we want, what is it that we need, what is it that we value, what is it that is important to us. And it is one part of the cycle of, of the Great Reset, which is to reveal and to really ask yourself those deep questions. In that time, we asked ourselves really deep questions, including, do I want to be in this relationship anymore? Yeah. <laughs> and that's both personally and professionally, because your work is a relationship. So as people started to question their relationship with their employer and their team and their colleagues, they also simultaneously were questioning everything in their own personal life as well. So this is not just happening here. It's not just happening in North America. It's happening globally where people are reevaluating what's important. That's the easiest way for me to say it, the most succinct. What is important, where we will spend our time and how we will do it. You know, I hadn't thought of it in that way. It's, it's all, it, you're absolutely right. I'm, I love the metaphor of the timeout because you know, a lot of people, a lot of clients and things that I talk to definitely see it and are experiencing it or experienced it in that way. 
And it is like a pause point where, and as you were talking, I, I, I just got this sense that we were almost like doing what we thought we should do and, and never questioning it. And it kind of distracted us from those deeper questions because it was what was totally expected of us. We just carry on working. We go to the office, we do what we do. And that's what we do. That's just life. But now we've got a glimpse of something else. Now we've, we've had a sense that potentially we don't need to sell this, our soul to the corporation, you know, and that there is another way of being that could potentially be better for our family life, for all different aspects of what brings us fulfillment. And when you were saying they're reevaluating what is important, I mean, I know as a coach, and I'm sure you do too, that there are so many people that I've started working with in their 60s that are very, very successful on the outside, like they've, they've risen up the ranks in corporate America. Mm-hmm. But they're just in their 60s, you know, coming into retirement and starting to realize that they've lived somebody else's life. Yes, Do you know what I mean? And so now here we are. What an incredible opportunity for every single one of us to have gone through this experience and now be at that stage where we're like, okay, we can question this. Not only can we question it. Now, really think about this. Not only can we question it, but now employees have the power. Yeah. Okay. So it is like when I watch this and I listen to this on the news, you know, some people are like, oh my God, you know, the joblessness, blah, blah, blah. You know, people don't want to take jobs. Where are they? Nobody wants to work anymore. I don't see it that way. I'm like, I stand up and I cheer and I'm like, that's right. Because you know what? People need a living wage, no matter what work that they choose, they deserve a living wage and they deserve benefits. They deserve to be able to feed their families. Not only that, but people even in mid-level, like, you know, white collar, yeah, white collar. I'm always, I never get these right. (laughs) Blue collar, white collar. It's such an old fashioned term, but people are saying, I don't want to do this work anymore because X, Y, and Z, you know, I'm not being trained. I have no, I have no voice. There's no room for advancement. And by the way, I'm not working 80 hours anymore, anymore. And so because people are making other choices and voting with their skill set by saying, you know what, you don't appreciate me. I'm just going to take myself somewhere else. Thank you very much. Now the power is in the hands of the employee and the leaders who are now leading these workforces to be able to say, let's reevaluate the values of this company. Let's reevaluate how people work. Let's reevaluate. And so now they're going through their reevaluation. And some people, some companies are having a really hard time with this, really hard time with this. But the truth is, if they don't do this, they will collapse because there are plenty of other people who are going to make work a place where people can achieve, where they can succeed where they can contribute, where they can collaborate, where they can create community, where they can all coexist together and help each other. Because I think we're all really exhausted fighting one another. Oh, yes. 
I totally agree with you. <clears throat> so what's really interesting in this conversation is that, you know, you, we started our conversation with you jumping outside of your corporate office without a parachute. So you've actually navigated this space yourself. So, you know, you said very clearly, that's not the way to do it. So if there's somebody listening to this, that, you know, this has been noodling around in their brain, but they haven't yet made a decision or they haven't yet moved into action. I mean, what kind of advice do you have for those people that are thinking, okay, this is something that I want to do, but how do I navigate like the changes, the transitions that this is calling me into? Because quite frankly, that's scary, especially if I have, you know, kids and I've got to put food on the table. Like, is this really something I can do? Well, do you mean leaving corporate or do you mean changing it, making change within? So I suppose there's different levels of system, isn't there? I, yeah, I was asking yeah. there from an individual perspective, and then perhaps we can move to the leadership perspective and, and, and the way we perhaps need to, and I, I'm using my words here, so please forgive me for this, but how we need to reimagine business to really create more meaning inside of the corporate organization, potentially more humanity. Yeah. So, so that people can bring themselves to work. So yeah. let's start with the individual first. Yeah. I think for the individual, it is about one doing the, the assessment for yourself and what's not working in the structure where you are. Yeah. Because it's very telling, but not only what's not working in the structure, but how are you not working in the structure? So right. let me give you an example. Now this could be this could be very triggering for people so I'm going to ask a question here. Why do you think you need permission? And some people get very triggered by that. You don't need permission. Here's the truth. We all struggle with our relationship with authority. Whether we are the authority or someone has authority over us or the perception of authority. And there's a place where we have to make peace within ourselves, our relationship with and to authority, whether we are an individual or we are working in a structure that is not our own making. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. And you know what? It really reminds me of one of my very first coaches said to me, and this is going back, back, back. He said to me, he said, Jane, why do you want to be a noodle in somebody else's soup? (laughs) (laughs) And it's always stuck with me. And I remember thinking at the time, I'm not really sure why. I was only young at the time. I was in my early 20s and I was working for a consultancy firm. And I was like, I'm not really sure why I want to be. Isn't that just what I'm like? It was almost like this awakening of, oh, I could do something different. I could have my own soup. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. 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 But even within our own soup, and I'll just, you know, I'll speak very transparently about myself. I really struggled with my own authority. Like, who am I to say this? Who am I to be? I mean, now it's so funny when people are like, oh, you know, you're, you're considered an expert on value-based leadership. And I'm like, really? When did that happen? I had no idea because don't have a concept of it. And authority is sometimes a very loaded uh, construct for me. Like I, you know, and I continue to work on this because if you want to lead other people, you do need to stand in your authority and you need to accept your authority. 
And then there could be a conflict. Like for me, it's always like, oh my God, I don't think I want that much responsibility. And, and I don't think I know what I'm doing enough. We do this to ourselves constantly. It's this seesaw that keeps us out of alignment. It just takes us way on way too many detours. And if we would just handle the root of what it is, then we can move on. Yeah. So now I want to switch gears a minute because if in that reflection, so if people that are listening are already leaders, and if in that reflection they start to feel that for them it's not about leaving the organization and and creating their own kind of sense of meaning, but to start to champion some changes within the organization, because I know that's also work that you do. I mean, I'd love to get a sense of, of that as well. Like, so if you're just one person in an organization that is alienating the employees and the workforce and maybe has a style of leadership that is not in alignment with what you value, then what? So that's a really great question because that's probably 90% of the population. Yeah. And that's the truth. That is the truth. So I always maintain that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you have control over the container that you create. So that is how you hold your team, how you hold that space for your team and what you put into it. So one of the things that I used to always do with my teams is, you know, anybody who came on board who was new, I would kind of have this very gentle conversation with. It would start even in interview questions. Um, And I would let them know, like, we do not play with ego in this group. What we do is we help each other, we collaborate, and nobody you know, nobody is better or worse than anyone else. Like this is, this is, this is an equal footing and everyone has a voice here. And, you know, and uh, trust me, they put me to the test a few times when they disagreed with me. And I, you know, had to say to them, uh, guys, this is not right. And they're like, well, I thought this was an open forum, Maria. I'm like, okay, all right, go for it. Go for it. So it is, it is about creating your own team culture. And the way that you do that is to first set up your values for yourself, which is your starlight. And then second, to create one with your team. You can always share your values and what they mean to you. And it's very important that you share what they mean to you. Like, what does that actually, what is the actual action behind the value? You know, not just saying, well, expect everybody to be, you know, to treat everybody with respect. Well, what does that mean? That means paying bills on time. That means making sure that you're answering phone calls and that you're, you're giving a response time of a certain amount. You know, you have to detail out what that means. But you need to let the team be part of creating that so that you all have an agreement with each other that this is how we're going to operate. Doesn't matter what's going on around us. Here in this group of people, we're going to treat each other with dignity and respect. We're going to treat each other with the power of collaboration and humor and whatever it is. I can tell you stories that would just make you fall down laughing about some of the the value statements that teams have come up with. It's hilarious, but for them, it meant something to them. Mm. And that's what's important. You know, it's the Ted Lasso thing. It's like, if you can unite people behind a common theme, like for Ted Lasso, it's just believe. 
If you can unite them and you have a mission, then that group of people will move together. And you as the leader, you have to be the person that bats away the stuff that interrupts that flow. That's your job. You're to run interference. That's a big part of being a leader is clearing the obstacles for other people so they can succeed. And that means sometimes the negative outside interference outside of your team. I love that. So it, so I'm going to ask a really, uh, it's a bit stupid question, but no. so in your experience then, it, so is it possible to become almost like an island in the storm <laughs> with Absolutely. your team if there's chaos and, and crisis all around you and everybody else is firefighting in their departments, but yet you've created this, I don't know, it feels like the eye of the storm in a way, this you know, this kind of sweet spot for you and your team to operate within. Is that actually possible? It is possible. Life? It is possible. Because just remember, you know, it's that old adage. It's like people don't leave organizations. They leave leaders. Yeah. Okay? They don't like the leadership because they're not getting what they need. They're not being heard. They're not being seen. They're not being respected for what they bring to the table. Um, and then, you know, later down on it, on the level is, is money. There is money as part of this, but most people will stay with a team where they feel like they are respected and heard. Mm. And no matter what is going on in the organization, they will stay because they know it's a rare thing. Now I can literally go back in my career and say, this was one of those magical teams this was one of those magical teams. This was not like, I can see the difference because I've experienced it both as being in those teams and leading some of those teams and including some of the ones that didn't work where I could not, I simply could not get everybody to play along properly. And, you know, and you learn, you live and you learn and you get better at it as you go. So here's what I'm really intrigued by now. <laughs> because as you know, like I work with energy and resonance, right? And I know you're no stranger to some of this conversation either. So once there is a team that's operating in this way, what I'm really intrigued by is how do other people in the organization like react to and respond to this team? Do they even notice that it's different to where they are? Does it start to have a ripple effect at all? It's really funny because there are, there was a time when there were four or five of us that were leading pretty large teams and we were having lunch together one day and we're like, I just got a transfer request from X, from X, from Y department. And they're like, I know I got one from this person from another department, you know, and I, and I got it from this and we're all looking at each other. And we were realizing that what was happening is, is because we treated our people with dignity and respect. Oh my God. Like that's such an unusual concept, right? That people wanted to come and work on our teams. And that is what happens. It becomes like a magnet. So, you know, the resonance principle, if you're certain, if you're vibrating at a certain level, then other like-minded people who are going to be interested in that are going to gravitate their, their energy and their vibration will move towards yours. And so that's what we saw happening. We also saw that, um, that when we were able to do this, that the organization left us alone because we weren't problem children. Right. And we were never, ever perfect. And um, as we would all often remind ourselves, that we're not perfect and we're still learning and we're just doing the best we can. We just have a window of time 
where we can really enjoy this and we're going to take advantage of that. And that's what, it, that's what we all did. And it was hard, Jane. Like, you know, I don't want to make any of this sound like there weren't bad days. There were terrible days. There were days where people would be in tears because they were just so stressed out on deadlines. Life is not perfect. And, you know, pressures get to people. But if for the most part, you can create an environment where people can find a way to work and feel fulfilled, they will stay. You treat them with dignity and respect, they will stay, you know, unless they really have a, a, a real need, for example, for a better benefits package that is being offered at another place, they will stay. It's fascinating because, you know, as I'm reflecting on, on where we are right now and listening to you speaking, you know, about the, the, the resonance effect here with teams and, and what it takes to actually create and build that when, you know, the, the larger or wider organization might have a culture that's not that, let me just say that. Um, what I'm, I'm really kind of interested in is this idea that um, we've come so far. It's almost like we've got a pers perspective on business that's so far from anyway what I would personally want it to be. And I get the sense that it's quite a long way from where you would want it to be as well in most corporate organizations anyway. So my sense is like, how, how did we get here? Like, we, like we're all thinking that leadership is one thing and when it could be much more human, for example, like it's almost like we, I feel the need, anyway, I have a yearning for us to really reimagine business. And you said something before we press record, uh, just when we were just saying hi to each other. You said that one of the things we've forgotten is that business is a structure for good. Yes. And I love that. Do you know why I love it? Because I've never thought that that was in the past. I've only thought, think of that as something we're heading towards. So can you just walk us through that a little bit more? Because I really want to anchor to that belief. <laughs> Okay, so let me tell you a little bit of story, a little, little story about this, because this was very recent. Recent, uh, a couple of years ago, a big chain, I won't mention the name, of coffee, which you can imagine who it is, came into my neighborhood. And I was elated. I'm like, this is fantastic. Well, one day I'm going into this establishment and I'm going to order my coffee. And it was right in front of the bus station. And this guy had a sign and he was yelling at me, telling me that I don't support my neighbors and that big business is taking away from everything. And how could I do this? How dare I live in this neighborhood? Who's so progressive? <laughs> and I'm just like, I just want a cup of coffee. That's really all I want. But I looked and I thought to myself, wow. One, they don't understand there's a place for every size business, no matter what, right? Big business, small business, mom and pop, medium-sized chain stores, conglomerates, first of all, because I truly believe that. And they all serve different customers. But I also, and I really, and Jane, you know how feisty I am. So I was like almost ready to just walk up to him and say, this is what I wanted to say to him. Do you realize that this 
organization has put a store in this neighborhood that now hires 15 college students who can now pay for their college education because of this job. Not only that, two of them are, I think it was two of them, are eligible for scholarships through this organization, which will help them pay for their education. And you know what? That betters their life. That betters their life. That means they are not as at risk of living in poverty. This is an organization that actually contributes to global causes and local causes. And I, and I, like I had my whole list because I thought to myself, how do you not understand that a mom and pop shop can only employ two people, three people, where this can employ 15? How can you not understand that when people are paid a salary, that they are able to enrich their lives. The purpose of commerce is to give people opportunity, opportunity to gain employment and make a living so they can feed their family, to educate their children so their children can move on, so that they can buy a house, so they can contribute to the product that is being distributed by that by that uh, corporation, whatever it is, every corporation serves a need. And if they're making money, they're obviously doing a pretty good job at it. The number of people that that organization employs worldwide is probably nowhere near as many as every small business in my neighborhood. And I love small businesses, but people forget that corporation commerce is here for the betterment of all of us, whether it's the product and service or the salaries that they pay or the benefits they provide and all the little perks around it. Now, I'm not, I'm not so, you know, like pie in the sky that I don't understand or believe that there are some bad actors out there. There definitely are. But why are we villainizing big businesses who create, give us all the opportunity to create the life we want? Mm -hmm. And they can give back. Now, they're not perfect. They can give back. They can do more. They can pay more taxes. They can do all of that. But it's all up to us to hold them accountable to that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And that is, I mean, you've made some really insightful points there things that I think it's so easy to forget about business. And it's so easy for me to like, just take the devil's advocate stance and just go, well, yeah, but what about like, you know, their carbon footprints? What about, yeah. their, you know, working for profit and for stakeholder profit and at, at really at the expense of everything else. So, you know, we all know those arguments because they're rife in the media, but there's not a lot of what you're talking about in the media that could balance out the equation. So how, how did we get here? Do you have a sense of that? You know, I think that we got to this place of distortion by not really listening to the truth. So I have to bring something else up just to bring it into, to help bring it into focus. We learn behaviors. And we learn what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. And sometimes it's from our, you know, from our childhood, but you know, we're, I'm going to just say we're all adults here right now, right? Listening to this and talking today, we still learn things. And in this period of the past few years, well, actually the past couple decades, there's been more misinformation uh, just slung around 
and you know, and I'm not necessarily talking about politics, but there's been more misinformation and misleading information, and we all need to find the truth, right? We need to take the responsibility to find out what is true and what is not true about the people that we work for, the companies. And do we want to work for these people anymore? This is what this reset, I'm going to go back to the reset. We're here because we just believed and didn't fact check. Mm -hmm. That's the best way I can say it. So when you work for somebody and carbon footprint is important to you, then do the research and make sure that their carbon footprint is within the realm of what you think is acceptable rather than what the media is telling you it is. And I love the media. I love journalists. I'm, I'm not bagging them. But I think that what we have learned is that we were not listening to the truth that was within ourselves. We were listening to what we were told was the truth. And I know that sounds so weird, but I hope it makes sense to people. And the best way that I can illustrate it right now today is this. We are watching people, I'm just going to say people shout and call names and denigrate people who beliefs they do not believe in and act like five-year-old children. If we do not self-correct that, that is going to happen in corporations. That's going to happen in churches. That's going to happen everywhere. So what's the truth in this? Is this behavior acceptable or not acceptable? And how will you choose to operate in the world? Because you know what? That's got as much energy and resonance as anything that's good. So it's about challenging the things that we're seeing what, that we may not have challenged in the past. And I'm like, it's so fascinating watching myself listening to you because I'm almost like, I, I love how this is coming back to the realm of the individual and who you are being and what you believe matters most, your own sense of sovereignty and meaning is so important in this conversation because without that, you, you just kind of be who you think you should be. And as I'm thinking about like how we got here, I'm like, wow, like this all starts back in education and school and parenting where yes. for, for me, like little girls were seen and not heard. And all those kinds of ingrained biased beliefs that I have in my head that says, Jane, you just go and you, you do this and you go to college and you do school, you go to college, you get a job and you get married and you have kids and then you retire and then you die. Kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's almost like so many, I mean, when are we ever asked, like, what do you want? I remember going and seeing a career advisor and them telling me what I should be when I get older. Like there was never anybody who ever spoke to me and said, Jane, what do you want from life? What will make this life worth living for you? Nobody ever did that. And I'm now I'm a grandma. I'm like looking at my little baby granddaughter and thinking, I need to have some conversations with this girl. <laughs> I totally do, because I can't trust that the systems we have in place are going to help her find herself in a way that, like you said at the beginning, she will give herself the permission 
to work out what it is. And yet the more I, like my own kids are uh, like young adults now, and the more I, I hang around them and their friends, the more I realize that these generations coming in are not necessarily going to do what we did because they're having different experiences. My son, he won't, he's 20. He won't go to college. He's really, really bright. He won't go to college because he believes it's not what he needs for his future. He's still finding his way. And he's, as he, in his own words, he doesn't want to spend a hundred thousand dollars to find that. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. it's like fascinating, isn't it? Because how we got here is just a series of little steps that, so I, what I'm noticing in myself as I'm listening to you, Maria, is this idea that we actually disempower individuals. And what I'm hearing you talking about is empowering them, inspiring them. It's almost like you matter. Even if you're in, if you're a cog in a big machine, you still matter and your perspective matters. And I'm hearing that so strongly from you. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it is it is not to be taken lightly. Right. The meaning of being part of any of those kind of structures, you have meaning, you have purpose there, you have purpose there, and it's it's one of the things that when I work with um, when I work with some some people, some professionals. I always try to get them to distill down to what that meaning is and not negate what I call their superpowers. Mm. The superpowers are the skills that you know and the skills that your friends are going to tell you, oh, by the way, guess what? You're pretty brilliant. Did you, ha- did you have any idea? And you're going to be like, no, I have no idea whatsoever. So it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it is all of those things and it makes up, it becomes, how do I say this? It becomes the foundation of the pattern of meaning that you will seek your entire life. And it will have very different uh, forms depending on the stage of life you're in. Because what I'm doing now is not what I thought. Oh my God. I was like, no way. 20 years ago, there's no way. You know, when I was 16 and I was like, I'm ready to go to college. Let me go. I, you know, the rest of this is boring to me. That's not what I was thinking about, but it all lines up. The thread is all there. If you can really get down to the meaning of what you are here to do and what those skill sets are, then, then the application is limitless. So I want to kind of take this, take us to like an elevated position to like 30,000 feet above this conversation right now. And, and ask you like, what when we think about the future of business like where we're headed i mean what would you like to see emerging within business within corporate structures and organizations that's different to what we have today what's the changes that really inspire you that you want to take a stand for oh that's a good question <sighs> wow that's a really good question for me, I think there, there are a couple key things is the investment in their people. Mm-hmm. And I don't, if I see one more really crappy learning and development, nonsense track, skeleton, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> it's just invest <laughs> in your people. 
<laughs> invest yeah. in your people. Seriously invest in your people. I want to see reskills training for women and people of color who have lost their jobs over mm-hmm. these years and are ready to regain, re, rejoin the workplace. It, to me, that's an investment. That's another mm-hmm. way of investing. I want to see humane working environments, which means no more 80 hour weeks and you're penalized if you do. Mm-hmm. Seriously, like it's enough. I want to see the flexibility and I want to see commitment to cause. I actually, you know, I don't agree with every cause out there, but at least have something you believe in. People. <laughs> <laughs> have something you believe in, you know, yeah. and, uh, and that can change. Those are the things that I think are, are most important. And there's a lot of different meaning behind each of those things. And, and uh, you and I were talking about this before we started. We assign the meaning of anything that we do. And what that meaning is and how it is applied is completely individual and up to, you know, up to me, up to you. And um, there are a lot of things that we can all do to make it a better place, but the humanity has to come back to work. And we, and I hate using the word balance because I feel like balance is a word that people use with women and it only makes them feel really bad. (laughs) So I'm going to say, you know, we need to all come back into alignment with what it is like to be uh, a human being on this planet with one another. Mm. And that in itself is such a, I don't know, such a huge question for us to answer, I think. But I want to bring us full circle back to, so I, I love what you said there about the changes within business for the future. And I'd love to get a sense of, mm-hmm. so what is the role of the leader in or even the employee in in really ushering in these changes, the steps that people can take to really take this from a dream and a vision and and bring it into reality. How do we do that? I think that um, the role of the leader is really um, one of a shepherd. That's probably the best way I can say it, because you've got all of these different people from different walks of life, different educations, different family backgrounds that come together in your workplace and you look at them. At least I know I looked at them and I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to make all these people work together. I don't even know if they like each other. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It is. But as the shepherd, you set you set the foundation. And you have to be really strong and really clear about what that is. You know, this goes back to, you know, setting the values, the yours personally as a starlight and the one for the team that they help build and the rules of engagement that go within to that container. And you have that agreement. It's so important because you know what, for some people, they don't care about, you know, collaboration. They want speed and that's okay because you do need some of those people on your team, but now you have to figure out how they all work in harmony with each other, right? And know what each, what motivates each other. So I think that, that that's what's going to happen. Leaders have to be a shepherd. They have to be strong. They have to set the parameters and allow the structure to be flexible and one that can be shaped by the individuals within the team as well. And, um, and the leader has to run interference. It is, it is. It's so simple to say, but in practical application, when you as a leader are listening to something that they are telling you to do that you know is wrong or is 
you feel is unethical, you have to find a way around it <laughs> and shield your and shield your team from it. And what do you say to leaders that, um, and I'm sure you've had this said to you, I've had it said to me, I don't know how many times, which is they think that, you know, moving in this direction would be all too expensive to the bottom line. <laughs> well, I just always come down to um, retention numbers. And um, I always look at the HR director and say, would you, do you have numbers on what it costs you to re-onboard, rehire, um, retrain? somebody every time they leave. And it's the biggest nightmare that HR people have right now is the cost of turnover. They need to be able to keep people in place. And if there isn't a strategy, that is what will ultimately cost the company um, more than what they're making. It, yeah. it, just, it, it just is. It's a numbers game. And uh, you can have an employee that works for you two or three years or you can have an employee, you have employee turnover and they're there for six or eight months and they leave. I know places that are like that. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I actually consulted to a group about this and I'm like, okay, um, your leader is really hard and everybody's afraid of him. And this is not going to work unless he changes his approach. And, you know, here's the truth, Jane, and you know, this, you and I can only do so much. And then it's the choice of the individual and th that leader chose not to make a change. Mm. Yeah. And Absolutely. there are many, many, many people who have passed through that organization, yeah. many. And, you know, eventually, eventually <laughs> they'll catch up. Yes. So I feel compelled to ask what gives your life meaning? Oh, <sighs> What gives my life meaning is really helping other people. And I know that just sounds so airy, fairy, flaky, freaky deaky, but I, you know, from a young age, I've always been a nurturer. That is like my dominant trait, despite the fact that I'm very, uh, I could be very direct at times. I am a nurturer. The things that make me the happiest are having people around my table and I am taking care of them or working with clients and they feel like they are supported and that they've learned something new that will help them move forward. Or, you know, speaking to and mentoring young people and giving them the permission <laughs> to choose the career that they want, not what their parents tell them they shouldn't want. Mm -hmm. And I have to be very strategic about how I do that clearly. But mm -hmm. um, it is about seeing people live the best life they can. And if I make one drop of, if I have one drop of uh, influence on that in a positive way, I'm happy. It makes me cry. When I get testimonials, Jane, I cry. I get very, I'm like, just get so emotional about it. I really do. And that's what I love about you. You care so deeply, not just for yourself, but you know, for, for the relationships that you have, for the people you come into contact with and the people that you're here to serve. And I really honor that in you, Maria. I really do. Thank you. So um, one final question, because I'm noticing the time now, which is um, if there's something that you'd hoped we'd get to, I mean, maybe it's just some final words of wisdom for our audience or something that you'd like to share before we complete our conversation today, what might it be? 
Yeah, I want to go back to, um, and it's not something that I talk about very often, but it's important that I start talking about it, which is, and I mentioned it in the beginning, which is I didn't realize the things that I missed out on by being in my career. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the way we all choose to work is completely uh, up to us. And I worked like a crazy person because I loved it. And I was traveling all over the world and doing all kinds of crazy things and five extensions in my passport and everything. But I never met my partner. I never met him. And here's the crazy thing. I never met him. And we found out that we've passed each other for 20 years in the world through airports and cities and never saw each other. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's, it's tremendous. It is of paramount importance that I share with all of you Everything that you need is right in front of you. Everything that you want is right in front of you. But if you're moving so damn fast, you can't see it. And I didn't see him for 20 years and he was right in front of me. It's crazy. Oh, goosebumps from that. So, oh my gosh, Maria, thank you so much. I have completely enjoyed our conversation today. I knew I would. And I know our listeners will really have learned so much from you. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you for this time. I really appreciate it. And all my love to all of you who are listening. Seriously, thank you for sticking in and listening to the whole thing. Okay, well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening in. Before we go, I want to remind you that all the resources and links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com. A big thank you to our sponsors, Coaches Business School, who are helping us make a global impact aligned with the UN Sustainable Development Goals, all visible on our website. And if you're a coach wanting to grow your impact, you will need to understand how to build a business that works today. Check out Coaches Business School to transform your business with purpose-driven profits. It's time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs from you. And together, we can make a meaningful difference. Again, you can find us at sacredchangemakers.com and our sponsors at coachesbusinessschool.com. And if our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. So for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your intention and efforts to make our world a better place. Until next time, lots of love.